Welcome to Done With Debauchery, a podcast hosted by Keisha and Denise, two friends who share intimate conversations about alcohol and drug use, struggling with sobriety, and our personal paths to wellness. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Done With Debauchery. I'm Keisha, and this is my co-host, Denise. Hello. Today, we're discussing binge drinking, also known as heavy episodic drinking and the negative effects it has on your body and brain. We're also going to talk about what happens to your brain during a blackout. Let's get into it. Binge drinking is the act of ingesting a large volume of alcohol in a short period of time. A large volume of alcohol is considered four or more drinks for women and five or more drinks for men. We were absolutely shocked that it's only four drinks for women. Keisha, would you have considered that a binge? <laughs> Honestly, four four drinks is Tuesday. So. <laughs> Don't drinks have two shots in them? Yeah, I definitely was alarmed to find that out as well, uh, especially considering like if you look at a night out with friends, if you start getting ready together, you're usually having a cocktail or wine at the at the location where you're getting ready, dinner is a bottle of wine, maybe two cocktails. Then if you're going to a bar, like I was having at least four tequila shots at, at the third location. And how many ounces in a standard glass of wine? Because if you're pouring at home, are you actually pouring uh, four to six ounces? There is no such thing as a four ounce <laughs> glass of wine. <laughs> That is literally a sample. Uh, yeah, so it definitely was like pretty alarming, I think, for, for both of us to learn those numbers. And that's all that it takes to consider a binge. Because I think that most people actually do drink within those limits several times a week. I agree. And I guess the, the short period of time, though, is, is really what defines it from maybe social drinking versus versus a binge. Mm. Um, and we haven't really found consistent information on the internet about what a short period of time is, but we did find some evidence that it's two hours. So I guess they, they recommend one drink per hour and you're supposed to have a glass of water in between. But <laughs> once I crack the seal on the alcohol, I'm definitely just steamrolling ahead there. Maybe pausing for a couple sips of water, but definitely not waiting an hour for the next beverage. Yeah, there's one speed usually, and it's go. (laughs) I would definitely have classified myself as a binge drinker, and I think that that's really how my my relationship with alcohol started when I was in high school and or junior high, maybe it was, and started experimenting with alcohol for the first time. There was no sitting down and enjoying uh, like a delicious glass of wine. It was we're drinking to get drunk. And it was always within a very short period of time because we had a curfew. We had a certain time that we had to be home. So we were really consuming a lot of alcohol in a short amount of time, but it wasn't every day. So it would be maybe a Friday night binge, then feeling shitty on Saturday. But do you feel like you had access to alcohol when you were underage, like every day? It was, it was more of mm. like you had to plan to get the alcohol. So I think that the ability to consume whatever you wanted was, was limited because you had to be resourceful in terms of acquiring the alcohol. For sure. Yeah, definitely. It's not like you could just walk into a liquor store at the age shoulder, of 16. <laughs> outside. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely. So yeah, there, it was more strategic planning for sure. 
And I think this phenomenon, like, I can really relate to what you said and, and my, you know, introduction to drinking is very similar to, to your story where, um, you know, when I started drinking as a teen, it was binge drinking right from the get-go. Like, we were drinking to get fucked up yeah. and we were taking shots and literally drinking until you could not drink anymore and would be, like, fall down and barfing all over the place. Uh, like, you physically could not handle anymore and that was, like the purpose. And I think from my experience, um, you know, I had the luxury of, of living in Italy when I was in high school for a summer and it became really apparent to me at 16 that this was very North American. Um, you know, the friends that we had met in Italy, they didn't drink that way. Mm. And I wonder if this inaccessibility to alcohol when you're younger or a lack of an introduction to kind of those casual drinking as a lifestyle is part of the reason why you go totally buck wild as soon as you can get your hands on some. Yeah, I I think probably. And when I grew up, it was never really like alcohol was this big forbidden thing. My parents drank frequently. I remember going to my my parents' friend's house like in the evening for a party and everybody was drinking. It was never anything that was hidden or shameful. So, But I did always grow up seeing that. So it's almost like this, it, it created a sense of normalcy in my life that like that's just like once you turn a certain age, you just start drinking. Like there was no really other alternative. And because I was not, like you said, like really given the opportunity to try alcohol at a young age in a in a moderated setting, it was like once I got the ability to drink, it was just full steam ahead, mm. as you said. Yeah, yeah, I fully agree. And I think when you have some of those um, predisposed, like, tendencies to want to remove, um, you, you tend to not be able to have that off switch. You just want to, like, continue riding that uh, sense of another, you know, another type of consciousness for for lack of a a better explanation and alcohol seems to be the one that most people try first just because of its accessibility in society but what I think is also interesting though is that in North America I think that 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 drinking culture really carries through to um you know bottle service weddings even you know let's say bachelorette parties even work parties where things are open bar and people actually go because it's like, oh, free alcohol. And like, yeah. they get you get smashed at those events. So it's like, yeah. you know, you start this behavior when you're younger and it just continues as like a normal way to be at social events um, as you become an adult. Yeah, for sure. Like, I feel like my strongest periods of binge drinking were when I was like younger, just turned 18, just started going to clubs for the first time. And when I moved to Toronto, I was 18 years old, just turned 19 within a few months. And I would binge drink multiple times a week to the point of blacking out. And like this was in like 20, 2009, 2010. And it was like the days before Uber. So at those points, like uh, some evenings, I didn't even know how I got home. There was no like electronic (laughs) tracing of me saying, okay, yeah, this driver picked you up at X location and took you home. I was walking home down King West. I was taking bare feet. (laughs) Yeah. Going to McDonald's hundred percent in the blackout by myself and just putting like your myself personally in a really scary situation 
Yeah, and I think that that brings us to just maybe defining a little bit about what a blackout actually is. So, mm-hmm. Keisha, do you want to let us know uh, a definition? Yeah, so addictioncenter.com states that when a person is in a blackout, they are temporarily unable to form new long-term memories while relatively maintaining other skills, such as having conversations, eating, or even driving. And this is because alcohol interferes with the ability to form new long-term memories. As the amount of alcohol consumption increases, so does the magnitude of memory impairment. Yeah, so what's really interesting about blacking out is that you're still out there living the party in your experience, making decisions, possibly still consuming more alcohol. Yeah. Um, and you're completely unaware, not even your body of what's what you're what mm-hmm. you're doing. And what I thought was really interesting when we started to look into what's actually happening in your body and your brain when you're starting to black out is that the hippocampus is the area of your brain that is required to to do the process of, of acquiring a short-term memory into a long-term memory. So it's like the processing component in your brain. So your pleasure pathways, when you start to develop them, when you're using substances, would include increasing like dopamine and serotonin. And as you you start to drink more alcohol, your tolerance goes up. So you start to need more alcohol to achieve mm-hmm. the same amount of those pleasure hormones. And that's why people continue to drink more as with any addictive substance like the same would apply for cocaine for heroin any other substance but your hippocampus is that's a hard word to say (laughs) your hippocampus is tolerance does not increase with your consumption so though your body maybe starts out not blacking out from your amount of the amount of alcohol that you're drinking as you increase the amount you may begin to black out so it's something that is progressive for a lot of people yeah and and I feel like I totally relate with relate to that and even just consuming certain liquors in the frequency and how quickly I was drinking them. Like when I was 18, 19, I loved a mango tequila. It was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> I knew you were going to say something gross and tropical. <laughs> so tropical, so disgusting. But like my girlfriends and I, like we would drink a bottle of mango tequila and we would black out every time. I was blacking out right from the get-go. I have realized that I'm so sensitive to all substances um, of all all sorts. My tolerance levels are just so low. I am a relatively small human. (laughs) But because I really did have an eating disorder and was very concerned about body image, I was probably also not eating all day, really restricting my calories, and then drinking like vodka out of a bottle or vodka yeah. water, like vanilla vodka or vanilla vodka with soda was vodka. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> was for sure my drink of choice. Um or wine. But I was always looking at other people's consumption and wondering why I would black out and everybody else was still able to drink. And so, you know, I just kept ignoring what was going on in my body and was like moving forward surrounded by my like social circle. Yeah. So very simply put, binge drinking is overwhelming your body's ability to process alcohol. When we experience a blackout from binge drinking, there are actually two types of blackouts. So type number one is called en blanc. So that's absolutely remembering nothing. So when you're experiencing this type of blackout, there's no long-term memory formation at all. 
The second type of blackout is the one that I can actually relate to a little bit more is called a fragmented blackout. So pieces of the memory come back when somebody cues your memory. So maybe friends retell the story, you see a photo, um, or you see like a receipt from your pizza you ordered. So there is almost like partial processing going on during that time. Keisha, do you have any stories where you can relate to blacking out and maybe can give us a little bit of insight on one of the two types of blackouts that you experienced? Yeah, I think I, I have stories for days of blackouts, but do I actually remember? Me as well. <laughs> and the question is, do I actually remember or am I just recalling what someone has told me? But there's there's a number of occasions that like in my in my early to mid 20s that I can remember when the next morning or in the middle of the night, you're almost sitting up out of a, a, a period of like being unconscious because I've whether I've passed out or I have just naturally gone to sleep. But you're waking up in shock, not remembering coming home, not knowing where your phone is. All the lights might be on. You still have your wallet. <laughs> yeah, there's just so many things of what happened where I'm trying to piece together the night before. So then maybe I'll call a text a friend and like the classic is what happened last night. That was so crazy. But really, I'm asking what the fuck happened? Like there will be periods of the night where I remember getting to maybe the bar. I remember seeing a friend doing shots. Then there'll be an hour of the evening where I truly, you could have told me I was on a flight somewhere and I would have believed you because there's no recollection at all. But then maybe there'll be pictures on my phone from that night. And then that kind of triggers this memory of like, okay, yeah, I, I believe I was there and doing that for sure. Like you just kind of piece together this puzzle based on this little bit of information that different people are giving you and these photos that you're seeing. Yeah. And I think there's this phenomenon called confabulation. So when it's, you're not sure, I think if it's actually fragmented or on block type of blackouts, mm. because your brain actually wants to fill in the gaps. So it wants to make sense of the previous night. So it's really tricky to know if you think you remember. So your brain is using information from past experiences or expectations of what you would do yeah. in that club. Um, or, you know, when you usually take a cab home. So it, it starts to think you remember taking a cab home when maybe your friend actually dropped you off. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting to hear you like recall that because I relate to always thinking that I experienced fragmented blackouts, but you know, it's like, am I experiencing confabulation? Is my brain just filling in the gaps so that I'm not concerned or worried about what happened? And That's crazy. Yeah, that is actually really shocking to know that your brain even has the, the capacity to do that. But definitely, I have many evenings where, where yeah, that, that is the case for sure. And one of the really scary things I think about blacking out is that you really have the ability to still function in the moment because your short-term memory is still online. Mm -hmm. So anything between two to 30 minutes that you're experiencing, like you could still be lucid, like clearly making decisions. You may be walking and stumbling and things like that, but there are, you know, there in lots of circumstances when I have recalled my blackouts with friends, I'm in full conversations with people. I am still dancing. I'm not stumbling. I'm not like in that village drunk type of... You're acting with intention still. Exactly, exactly. But you're not, you know, you're not necessarily in control of decision making um, or any kind of tasks that require planning or your impulse control. And mm. so 
What's really interesting is this involves your frontal lobe. So that area of the brain is heavily impacted by alcohol. And when you're blacked out, those things like decision making and taking on high risk activities and things like that become very, very scary because you're not weighing the consequences and you're not making decisions soundly, but yeah. everybody else around you isn't experiencing what you are and there's, yeah. yeah, I've definitely had situations where I've been out and been in a blackout and the people that I'm with don't know. So the next day when I'm saying I don't remember that or like I don't remember taking this photo, going to that next that next bar, people are actually shocked that that I was blacked out because you can, the way that you're acting, they're perceiving as like totally normal, just regular like drunk Keisha or Denise. Yeah. And even when I see the pictures of myself, I'm also shocked that I'm blacked <laughs> out because I don't look like what I would yeah. expect given what I'm experiencing from a physiological perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we covered a couple risks there with blackouts, but there is, you know, definitely a very long list of, of risks associated with, you know, binge drinking and blacking out. And one thing I think is really important for us to highlight is that blacking out is different than passing out. Yeah. Passing out is when you're unconscious, essentially, yeah. and unresponsive. And yeah. blacking out is, you know, you can be a level of intoxicated where you're falling over, but you can also be clear and lucid. It's when you are no longer processing your long-term memories. So anything that's over 30 minutes long. When you're binge drinking to the point that you're blacking out, you are exposing yourself to so many risks. This can range from things like nerve, liver, and neurological damage to increasing your risk of developing certain types of cancers. You're lowering your inhibitions and more likely to participate in certain high-risk activities and put yourself in dangerous situations. This can range from, honestly, anything from sexual assault to passing out and at that point of pass out, creating a situation where you may be aspirating and actually choking on your own vomit. So uh, overall, to put it really bluntly, it's not a good scene. It, it's it's really dangerous. <laughs> so ha like, have you had any, any, I guess like, would you classify a high risk situation from when you've blacked out? Yeah, I think there's actually been quite a few and, you know, I wish that I didn't admit this, but the amount of times that I have probably driven my car, mm. like, especially younger, not fully in my body or possibly in like a fragmented type of blackout is, is higher than the number one or also even getting in vehicles with people who are at the same level of intoxication that you are. Maybe they're not blacked out, but because you're blacked out, you're not really seeing that as a high risk situation. Like somebody you've met that night at the bar leaving with even them. Even one of your friends that's been binge drinking with you, like feeling like it's okay to get in the car with them to go on a 20 oh, minute drive driving. home. Yeah. Um, and because you're blackout, like your decision-making capability is is really reduced and you just don't see that as a poor decision at that time. Yeah. So when you started to black out, what were your feelings around your experience? Were you concerned or was it just normalized? I think at the beginning, it was almost something that we would laugh about like the next day, like how fucked up like we a got. Trophy, almost. Yeah, yeah, honestly, it was like kind of like a badge of honor. But the older I got and the the more 
dangerous situations that I kind of put myself in, whether it was like going home with somebody from the bar or like you said, like just getting into vehicles with people, it, it became less and less funny as time went on. But I don't think that I ever really took it seriously enough to actually change my drinking habits and say, okay, maybe like don't have that many shots of tequila because you know that after a certain point you are going to be in a blackout. To me at the time, getting drunk and consuming that alcohol was more important than my safety. I fully agree. Look, I don't even think I was waiting my safety, but then I also was young and feeling like indestructible. Like, so blacking out wasn't necessarily the goal, but like you, I don't think it was something that I was avoiding either. And I wish I could say that the first few times that I blacked out, I was like concerned about my behavior. But the reality is that I think that I really like consciously or subconsciously leaving myself in an intense way and drinking to that point and even blacking out really allowed me to be out of my body in a way that I didn't know how to achieve any other way. So it was like this intense escape. I completely agree. And I feel like in my earlier drinking years that like I would, I too would love that feeling and just not having to be accountable, not having any recollection. It was just such an easy escape. And it was only in my recent years of like my late twenties turning 30 where I did start to feel behavior uh, shame. Yeah. Behavior (laughs) shame, a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of fear in in what I was doing. I damaged a lot of relationships in blackouts in hindsight um you know when I was like in my 20s and things like that I feel like crazy drama would happen and it you know everyone would bounce back and it's like "Ah, but then like as you get older like you know behaving in some of those ways is I think less tolerated whether those are standards you hold for yourself or standards that other people have um of you and I've unfortunately lost some friends due to you know some of my behavior when I was drunk but Yeah, it wasn't until I was older that I really started to be like, shit, this is not okay. I'm really unhappy uh, with with the way that I'm I'm behaving and the impact that it's having on me. Did you ever use any other substances to to stop your blackouts? I don't think so. I think that when I was when I was younger, I started drinking alcohol, but then I really became very heavily invested in drug use. So during my high school years, I wouldn't say that my drinking was as strong as it as it was before I quit now. Mm-hmm. I was much more interested in doing ecstasy and cocaine like during the day at school like Also me. Like, it was also more easily available though, than alcohol. It was easier. <laughs> Actually, so it was a lot easier to get and I felt like like You're not being in, in that control. I was yeah, in control. I could yeah. carry on throughout my normal day to day. I could I, sit in algebra class, but on an on a pill of MDMA. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Wow. So, <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that it was like an intentional. Like if I was drunk, would I seek out drugs to bring me out of a blackout? No. But if it was offered to me, I would definitely be participating. (laughs) What about you? Yeah, so I think uh, very similarly to you, when I was in high school, I did drink here and there. But as soon as I got my driver's license, because my family lived out in the country, I felt like it was okay to drive on drugs, but not drinking for some reason. So I, which is because you wouldn't blow over. Yeah, which is fucked up thinking. And I realized that in hindsight as an adult, but So I would never really drink. And to be honest, I wasn't good at handling alcohol. So my drink, even though when I did drink, I would binge drink, 
But that would be a more rare occasion. But it was it wasn't until I went to university where when I was 18 that I really started drinking because then I had fake ID. I was in those environments and I was living in downtown, so I wasn't driving. Mm. But very early on, yeah, I did use cocaine to stop blackouts. And I think part of that was because I started uh, working in clubs and bars. So where drinking was encouraged during work, I would have to use cocaine to be able to stay, stay straight and hold a tray and be able to count <laughs> money. How many mistakes I made counting money? Who knows? <laughs> so that's where we're so different because when you were working in a club, you were doing cocaine to keep yourself functioning. I literally remembered one night when I was doing bottle service, I think it was New Year's Eve. I totally blacked out. I don't remember cashing out. I woke up the next morning at home, no recollection of the last hour of my shift and I had people's credit cards still. <laughs> I, I got pulled. I was bartending at a nightclub and it was New Year's and I actually did get pulled from the bar. Uh, because I was too wasted in the middle of the night, even though I was trying to use cocaine to stay sober. But anyway, I woke up, I went out partying instead. I was like, well, I guess I'm on the other side of the bar now. Like, Ugh. obviously not deterred by the experience at all and just continued on. Um, I think we laugh about it, but honestly, like, it, oh, it kind of gives actually, me a pit in my stomach. It honestly gives me a pit in my stomach. And, you know, there's some very horrendous stories that I could share where... I have come to and out of a blackout in very high risk situations yeah. with people that I don't know. Um, and, you know, still to this day, I'm uncertain about what happened. And, you know, I've luckily had people take me home when I've been in blackouts that I didn't know that have found me on the street. And so, yeah, it does make me feel sick. I do feel shame around that behavior. And even though we're laughing about it now, when I look at photos of myself from that time period of my life, I just really see the pain and struggle um, that that version of me was in and just my inability to cope with my emotions in any other way. I feel like that too. And there's some photos of myself that I just want to like hug that girl in the photos because looking back, like you're smiling, you look like you're having a good time, but like reflecting back, like was, I was in a dark, dark place. Yeah. It's just like one big story of, of suffering. So I'm curious to get your opinion. Would you consider binge drinking as a type of gray area drinking? A hundred percent. I think also because like Jolene Park defines it as this negative place that can impact lives and and so it's not everyday alcoholism or alcohol use disorder it is just in those moments where you're making risky decisions yeah and it's having a negative impact on your life I would fully agree I do think it's a it's almost like a type of gray area drinking yeah and what's really interesting about binge drinking is that it doesn't necessarily put you like on the spectrum for substance use disorder yeah. it can increase your likelihood that you'll become an alcoholic in the future because your tolerance may increase and it obviously is an addictive substance which you know is likely to lead to more ingestion of it but it doesn't necessarily you know make you classified as someone with a substance use disorder yeah the amount of alcohol someone can consume before blacking out is highly personal only you know if you have the capacity to stop before getting to that point if you're finding you're blacking out often or using other substances to sober up, it may be time to revisit your relationship with alcohol. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We will be releasing a Done With Debauchery resource guide in the coming weeks, so go to donewithdebauchery.com and drop us your email to stay informed.
Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. This is Denise and Keisha signing off on another episode of Done With Debauchery. If you liked what you heard, please share and subscribe. You can also find us on Instagram at Done With Debauchery. See you next time.